Don't miss the Can-Am Holiday Volleyball Showcase, North America's premier men's volleyball event. Experience and enjoy world-class athletes, coaches, and competition in Toronto this holiday season, December 28th to 31st at the Toronto Pan-Am Sports Centre. Get your tickets while they last at www.cahvs.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest, so we'll try to keep her long, long intro short. Uh, what you need to know is she was one of the best club medals to ever come out of the province of Ontario on one of the best club teams of all time. Uh, she went on to the University of Michigan, where she was a Final Four athlete. Uh, she's been a part of our national team since, oh, as long as we can remember, we'll find out the actual age when she got there. Uh, she's been on our senior women's team for also as long as possible, it seems, and now she's overseas playing pro. So please welcome to the show, Jen Cross. Jen, thanks for doing this. No problem. Excited to be here. So I kind of sped through your intro there. Why don't we take it from the top, though? When did you start playing either like club or school volleyball? Uh, I actually got into the sport. We actually had um, school volleyball in third grade. Um, and I remember playing, but just for fun, obviously. And then when I went to middle school, I actually was um, went to a school with uh, Scarborough Titans girls who were all playing club. And um, in eighth grade, they finally uh, convinced me after um, saying, you know, you really should get into it. You're really good. Um, my mom finally, finally let me uh, try out for club volleyball. And so I started playing club in, uh, in eighth grade. Nice. So kind of late to the sport. Yeah, not, not bad. Uh at what age did you really start to love it? Because I think you were around the national team program when you were like 16 or 17, right? Yeah. So it actually was a very um, quick love into the sport. I actually played uh, boys hockey very competitively um, up until I was 16. And I was like fully into hockey and soccer. And as I said, I started playing um, in eighth grade. And then when I went to high school, I actually went to Birchmount, which has the athletic program there. And so my focus was on hockey, but I quickly realized even my second year of club that I absolutely love volleyball. I wanted to give up hockey and soccer almost right away because I just like fell in love with it. I just knew that's where my passion was. Um, and so I actually, when I was 15 turning 16, got invited to the junior national team tryout. And that was aimed at girls who were um, heading into their uh, college careers, whether that was U Sport or CIS at the time or NCAA. So um, I actually, my mom put me on a plane when I was 15 and said, this is a great opportunity. Like, of course, you should go try out. And I actually ended up making that um, junior national team when I, I was actually on my 16th birthday, I found out. So I was really, really early into the national team pipeline, which has been amazing, but also has some drawbacks, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But yeah, um, kind of fell in love with it right away. Nice. And was it a hard choice giving up your other sports? Like, did, did your family have any influence or you were training in an arena for a warm gym and they were fine to see you do whatever you wanted to do? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely better for uh, my family, for sure, uh, in terms of weather. But I, I don't really know. I think they knew. Um, they could tell that I really, really loved it and I, I was thriving in it. And both my brothers uh, were heavily into hockey. Uh, my brother, my oldest brother, is actually still a hockey coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. So sports has always been a really big part of our family. So I think they knew and identified the fact that I, you know, I found my thing um, and kind of just kind of accepted the fact like, hey, this is where she wants to go and kind of uh, <laughs> let me give up on those other things. But it was really hard. Um, the first couple of years, because it did seem kind of like a rash decision. You know, I, I played hockey for 
15 of those years, you know, and I kind of was just giving it up for the sport. I just was dipping my toe into, but, um, yeah, I just found my passion. They, they've always been so supportive of anything to do with volleyball. Now we've had previous guests on the show who talked about their kind of NCAA recruitment. At what age did you start to get identified and start to consider that first of all, post-secondary was an option, but then like, when did the big 10 come calling and really identify you? This is something I'm actually extremely passionate about, um, recruiting. I'm actually in the process of writing an article that hopefully will be released soon-ish. I'm still working on it about recruiting. Um, for me personally, my my journey, it kind of sounds strange, but I always knew that I wanted to go to the States. I wanted that big scholarship college experience. And unfortunately, volleyball right now in NCAA is tending towards recruiting extremely young. Um, and I do think there's an issue with that. I think how can you really tell as an athlete when you're 15 what you want to do, where you want to spend, you know, some of the most important years of your life. Um, but I was around 15 when I, you know, my first and second year playing club when I was still the Discover Titans, um, getting letters from colleges all across the NCAA. And then um, when I was going into my U16 year, I made the decision I wanted to switch clubs, but I actually moved up in age group. So I was playing on the Scarborough Titans for two years, and then I switched to, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, in my opinion, the best club team that's ever been in Canada. We won five consecutive national championships in every age bracket um, on Durham Attack. So when I switched to Durham Attack, because it was a year above, I think I was introduced to the recruiting process a little bit earlier than I would have been if I had stayed in my own age uh, bracket. So part of being on that team, we also went to a lot of showcase tournaments. We were in uh, Las Vegas, Chicago, um, went to New Orleans, those types of big USAB uh, showcase tournaments. And so during that process is when I really started to dip my toe into the recruiting process. And it was actually extremely, extremely overwhelming because I was still 16, you know, at that time, had just turned 16. So we, we enjoy a good name drop on the show. Do you mind just mentioning who else was on this this stack club team uh, that you were with at Durham? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so Rebecca Glancy, um, who played at UMB for a long time, had a really great career. Ali Moynihan, who played in the States. Ali Goff, who played in the States. Jordan Maloney was our setter, who also played in the States. Um, uh, Di, who also uh, played in the States. Uh, who else was on our team? Um, gosh, who else? Like, I, I was Someone new. Was like big in college or in, in club volleyball in Ontario during that time. That was exactly who was on that team. It was pretty great. For sure. Like I was new at the OVA there and I remember watching Ontario championships that year when it was at Rim Park and it was a big deal, but you guys beat uh, a very good Aurora Storm team uh, that had like V Altamar, Melissa Humana Perez, uh, Julie yeah. Gordon, I think like the age group was very good, but you guys were dominant within a very good age group. Yeah. And I think it was just one of those things that, uh, you know, those girls, I still think of them fondly. Whenever I see them, it's always great to just talk about the old days, but it was a special, special group and our, our coaching staff was great. Um, in Evan, Evan Williams, like it was just like a great combination of a lot of things that went on, and yeah, it was just fantastic. I think if if you could have you know captured that magic of that team and played against like an NCAA team, if, if that was possible in this weird world, I think we would have actually done amazing. Um, the level of volleyball we were playing at such a young age, I think, set us all up for 
a lot of success. Wherever our careers took us, I, I think it was it was truly a special, special thing that happened those couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Now, you touched on your recruiting process. What made you kind of confirm that Michigan was the spot for you and then kind of walk us through your, your first year there? Uh, well, I'll try not to make it a, too much of a Michigan uh, promote, but yeah, I knew for me that location was super important. Um, I did think about going to the pack for a long time, which is the West Coast, but for me, I knew that having my family at all of my games was super important. I wanted to play in the Power Five, so that kind of limited it to Big Ten or somewhere in Florida. And from that point, I knew I wanted a, the college experience. And, and Michigan is in a city called Ann Arbor. And if you know anything about Michigan, football is gigantic. We have the largest stadium in America, the Big House. It sits on 115,000 people. Um, Michigan academically is also a world-renowned institution. Um, it had a really good program that I wanted. And then most importantly, uh, the coaching staff from the get-go has always been like family to me. I actually, uh, my coaches are married. So Mark and then the associate head coach, Lisa. And that like family atmosphere uh, was really, really um, important to me and something that really captivated me while I was being recruited. It's, it's one of those weird, like I stepped on campus and I, I actually had previously been at another school a week before and was like sure I was going to come in and was like fully on board with the school and within like 10 minutes I was like nope this is where I'm supposed to be this is home and it's ironic because uh the school that I went to before the weekend before is Ohio State if you know anything about NCAA it is one of the biggest NCAA rivalry Michigan versus Ohio State so at the time, I didn't realize how big of a deal that was, but looking back now, and then once I got to school, I was like, oh, like that's that was interesting for sure. So, yeah. But my first year there was amazing. Um, it was very overwhelming just because I was a four-year starter. I started as a freshman my very first game, and it was just a lot to take in and kind of being thrown into that environment with high expectations, highly recruited, um, you know, I really, really wanted to do my best. And it was, it was hard, but it was, it was great. And um, only have really fond memories from my, my first year there, but it was definitely a wake up call. It was a grind, but yeah, loved it every moment of it. So let's build on that rivalry and that college experience you talked about. Cause yeah, you have Ohio state, which I think is, is an amazing rivalry where one school doesn't even say the other school's name. I think that's fantastic. Uh, the other one, the other one that you share with the national team would be uh, Jazz White and Autumn Bailey went to Michigan State. So, do you guys still bring up the you know the go green, go white versus go blue? Like, is there a little built-in rivalry with you guys when you're in the team room with the national team? Uh, I'm pretty sure our other teammates would yell very loudly. Yes, we talk about it all the time, especially uh, Autumn and I. Uh, we bicker like sisters as she says and so we we like to throw it in her face you know last week michigan uh did take the win in the football game so i try not to throw it in her face too much but you know i just like to mention that, that michigan did beat michigan state um but yeah we we definitely do uh go back and forth but it's it's all in good fun with michigan state is one of those in, in state rivalries versus ohio state it's a lot nastier like really don't like each other but uh, michigan state uh it's fun autumn jasmine and i we, we bicker about it but it's all in 
experience. Nice. So thank you for kind of sharing how you got there. Now let's cover uh, the rest of your career. Cause like you said, you're playing in front of like great atmospheres. You're playing at a high level. What was the year like when you made the final four? Cause anyone who's ever seen the NCAA tournament, like it's, it's a big spectacle. The final four is there's a coaching clinic. There's people buying tickets. Like you're selling out NBA stadiums. Like what was yeah. that kind of like, was that kind of like a wow volleyball is huge here moment? Well, it's actually one of those things that uh, back in the day, they still do it, but in Canada, you actually can watch the final four usually on ESPN or ESPN two. And I remember when I was getting recruited, like what, I think it was Florida versus Penn state in, in the final four. And I was just like, Oh my God, like that's what I want to be doing. It was a very like full circle mo- moment. Um, but that year specifically as my junior year. Uh, it was just amazing. Like uh, my team to this day, maybe the best like team wins we've ever had. Everyone was just uh, buying into the program, buying into the system. No one cared how many, kills this person got or like it was just about advancing the next game the next game and you know the big 10 is by far in my opinion the most competitive um conference in the ncaa from you know the top i would say eight or nine teams right now are are fully capable of winning a national championship which is ridiculous (laughs) like absolutely insane so the big 10 was such a grind and then going into the tournament um I'm pretty sure we were ranked 15, maybe. Um, and, you know, we just kept winning. And then, like Michigan likes to do, we, we got sent over to California and beat um, beat Stanford. <laughs> so that was fun. And then, yeah, the Final Four was an unreal experience. We were in uh, the Young, Young Center in Kentucky in front of 18,000 people. And it was, it was an amazing thing. And unfortunately, we lost to Texas in five. But it was, it was an amazing game. We left it on the floor, but it was one of those, like, wow, like, I just did something super cool. And, you know, I'll always remember that Final Four for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, One thing I want to confirm with you being an NCAA athlete and and being at a a great academic institution, um, we've had previous guests who really enjoyed their academics, and we've had others who kind of had a coach who didn't support it and tried to control their schedule and workload. Uh, Mm -hmm. At Michigan, with you and your major, like, what was it like managing class? Like, were there a lot of athletes – missing practice because of class or the teachers kind of friendly that you book your schedule around it? Like, are, are you happy with your, your degree that you got and how was the academic side of it? Yeah. And, and you know, that's one of the things I'm like super passionate about recruiting. And I think there are for, unfortunately some horror stories when it goes on to NCAA institutions and Canadians. Um, but I, I do believe that part of your recruiting process needs to be that conversation with your coach and the future academic advisor, what you actually want to study. And something I, I say to people when they ask about recruiting is, would you still want to go to that institution, college, university, whatever, if you stepped on campus the first day and had a career-ending injury? Do they have the program that you want? Would you still want to be surrounded with those people? And and so for me, when I went to Michigan, um, for the first three years, I was uh, pre-med. And then my fourth year, I actually changed my path to be going to chiropractic college post-graduation. And so, like, my coaches knew that. And so that was something that if they wanted me as an athlete, they also needed to have me as a student because I was a student athlete first. So at Michigan, I can only speak for Michigan, but they 100% you want you going to class. 
we have an academic challenge within our team to make sure that everyone is doing their best. Grades are important. Yes, was it hard when I had, you know, a three-hour lab after a four-hour practice? Like, absolutely it was. Did I have to make sacrifices in other areas of my life to go to, to, go to classes and participate in the labs and all the surveys and stuff my program desired? Absolutely. Um, but in no way was I ever, ever felt that, you know, my my athletics was in the way of my um, future in academics or anything like that. And so it, it, it is frustrating a little bit to hear those stories because I can tell that depending on the program that you go to, for sure, I think um, academics does take a back seat. But that goes back to recruiting and, and making sure that you're going to an institution that has the same goals for you that you do for yourself. So, yeah, no, my coaches are, <laughs> are super big into um, making sure people are going to class, getting good grades, uh, doing their best in all areas, for sure. Great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your experience because you're right. There are a few situations where I think you really got to do your prep work and be honest in the recruiting process to make sure yeah. you're, you're getting what you want. Um, so kind of switching gears, we're learning as we go with a lot of the indoor athletes. Um, at what point in the university did you kind of make contact with an agent or did your coaches support you? Like, how did you know you wanted to go overseas and kind of walk us through how that works? Is your agent based in Europe? Are they in North America? And like, how, how does somebody get a pro indoor contract? Um, so for me, it's a little bit different because, as we talked about before, I've been on the national team for a very long time, um, including while I was in college uh, for, I would say, two and a half out of the three and a bit summers um, while in college. I was also still on the national team and training and going to competitions um, when my schedule allowed. So because of that, I was kind of exposed to the whole agent process and what pro might be like. And so... In the beginning of my college career, I kind of knew that I was interested in, in going playing overseas. Um, and so, obviously, that is another conversation that, you know, athletes should be having with their university coaches. Um, yeah, and my Michigan coaches were actually extremely supportive. They knew it was a goal of mine. Um, and so, I actually, when my senior year ended, I had previous conversations with my coach that being like, okay, who do you know? Who do you trust? Because um, unfortunately, the volleyball world uh, in the pro side is a little sketchy. Uh, agents are, or great agents are hard to come by. And it's really important to have a really good, honest, and trustful conversation with those agents. And because a lot of it, as you just have to kind of trust that they're doing their job and working for your best interests. And so I got connected to my agent through um, my coach, Mark Rosen, uh, one of his really good friends, uh, became my agent for my first uh, three years. So he, um, my first agent was American-based, um, but he had contacts through various clubs in Europe. And my second agent now is based in Turkey and has, you know, contacts throughout uh, Europe and Asia and stuff like that. So I think everyone's situation is different and you just have to go with someone that tr you trust. It has to be based on trust. You have to have a good vibe from them. If anything, any red flags pop up, it's definitely something you need to reevaluate. But it's one of those things now that um, there's more people doing it. Uh, there's more athletes who have turned into agents, which is so great because they know what the grind is like. They know what um, athletes really need from their agents. So yeah, I think going that route would be a really, really good idea as well. 
now we, we should have fact checked before. I'm going to have to yell at our intern here uh, that doesn't exist. <laughs> but um, how many countries have you played in? Like this is your fourth or fifth year overseas. Like where have you been so far and kind of what do you look for with your, with your offers? This is actually my sixth year. I'm getting old. Nice. Congrats. Um, this is my sixth pro year. So my first year I played in Sweden. The next two years I played in Germany. Uh, then I played in Hungary for a half season. I took half season off, which is the best thing I ever did. And then I've been in Bulgaria um, the last two years. And out of those six years, I've played four in Champions League. Um, so, yeah. For me, once again, like I am way more focused on the people and having a, a good trust with my coaches and finding a good pro coach is pretty hard to come by. Um, that sounds bad, but in that way, I mean that a lot of coaches or managers overseas, it's a lot more uh, focused on making the team function as a unit versus development, finding a good balance overseas of getting better and also being successful on the court um, is, is kind of that hard thing to do. And also for me, I've always wanted to play the best in Europe. And so um, whenever possible, I've chosen contracts that have me playing in Champions League. So that's kind of where I've focused my career on. Yeah, let, let's go into that. So for our listeners, obviously, most of us being in North America, uh, we know what Champions League is, but we don't get to see it or feel it or really experience it the way you do. Um, how does the environment change or how does it step up in Champions League versus just really good regular season play? Yeah, it's definitely different. <laughs> There's a lot more travel. And for me, it's kind of like the perfect combination of pro and national team. If you put the best of those worlds together, that's what Champions League is. So Champions League is the top 20 teams across Europe, um, of all the various countries. And some teams have to compete to be in. Other teams get an automatic bid from winning the previous year's league championship. And um, part of Champions League as well, this is kind of confusing, but some pro leagues have foreigner rules, and each country is different, but in Champions League there are no foreigner rules. So it's kind of like if you take the all-stars of national team and put them on the top 20 teams and they just kind of go at it. Um, The volleyball is amazing. Uh, traveling and going to all different parts of the world is great. You get to see people from your national team. You get to see people from other national teams. Um, it, to me, is, is some of the best volleyball you can play um, as a professional, for sure. And the fans see a difference, too, right? Like, what would be the attendance at a regular season game versus, like, what's a Champions League game see in, as far as, like, attendance and crowd? Uh, like, yeah, most pro games, depending on the place, you're looking between 500 and 1,000 people, depending on the location. Champions League, you're looking at four to 5,000, depending on the venue. Obviously, each venue is different, but with Champions League, there's like a minimum requirement for the arenas in terms of size. And all of the Champions League games are streamed on your TV. So, um, which I believe is geoblocked in Canada. I'm not quite sure about that. We'll have to check with the intern again. Um, <laughs> but from what I understand, it, it, it is geoblocked in Canada, but some of the games are on the volleyball, which is a U.S.-based site, so if you have a VPN, you can watch them on there. So I would say that the environment is definitely a little bit more grand compared to just a regular season uh, normal game. Nice. Now let's, let's touch on it. You mentioned you took uh, part of the season off there. 
Uh, I was just adding it up in my head. By the time you played indoor club and either went to the provincial team, national team, or played beach, was that your first off season since you were like really young? I'm trying to think when you actually would have experienced an off season as an athlete. Yeah, funny you should say that. So, <laughs> as I mentioned, like I, I, since I was so young when I started in the national team pipeline, um, I was 16, and then the next three years, three years, I was actually switched to the beach national team into my beach career, which will be making a revival at some point. Nice, and thank you for that. I forgot that in your intro, but you've actually represented Canada both indoor and on the beach. That's great. I have, yeah. So, yeah, it was after World Championships um, in 2018, if that sounds right. Um, yeah, so I just took that, I think it was nine weeks off, and then picked up a contract at Christmas. It was actually, I think, the best thing for me as an athlete, but more mentally that I just needed a moment to reset my goal as an athlete is to make sure that the national team is in a better place when I Perfect. Yeah. So let, let's get into it with the national team being such a commitment of yours and you joining. Um, you've gone through oof, three or four coaches, I guess, in your era, like not counting the youth stuff, but since you've been on the senior team, um, you would have gone through some coaches, some teammates would have changed. Like how has your experience changed from kind of being a rookie to being one of the vets? Three full regime changes. And yeah, it's been difficult <laughs> uh, just because, you know, I think Bible fans know like the team has really been going through a process to try compete at a higher level on the international stage. And so with that, there are definitely the ground just how we view the national team, how we operate as a unit. Yeah. It's, it's been difficult and also amazing. Uh, I love, I love the national team so much. I'm, you know, obviously still fully, fully in it. Um, but you know, it's just an amazing, amazing thing to be able to represent your country. I've been all around the world many, many times now. Amazing countries, places, and have had amazing teammates that have taught me more about life and volleyball than, you know, left for Kota. So, yeah, it's been an amazing experience, but also extremely hard time. So what are some positive changes that you've experienced with the program? Like, was the move to Richmond, like, a positive thing throughout the program? Um, how are you enjoying Tom Black as the, as the new coach? Like, what are some things that are definitely trending in the right direction for you guys? Yeah, I think the I think the change of like needed to. Um, we were there for I believe twenty years, and I think program in general needed a change. Um, and at that time, the national team hired Marcello Amandanza, who was Italian, and our, he was our coach for two seasons, and so. That compiled with the move to Richmond, I think, really changed our program. Um, in Vancouver, the volleyball community is so, so strong, and we're so supported there. Um, you know, I think we're really on the right track to building a really, really strong uh, female community of volleyball there. In terms of not just, like, people, like, caring about our sport and about our team, but, like, financially we're better supported there. Um, and our lifestyle is also pretty great. If you if you know Vancouver, live in Vancouver, you know as expensive as it is, it's also fantastic. And part of making sure that the women's national team is continuing to trend in the right direction is having athletes stay in the game long. And so, as someone, I'm 27, and I'm one of the oldest girls on not 
oldest, but you know, definitely part of the grandma group. And <laughs> you actually athlete don't peak for indoor volleyball until you're 28 or 29. And so that's usually years after people have left national team. And so we have to find a way as volleyball community to keep athletes in the game longer. And obviously for women, it is more difficult because we want to have babies and get married and things happen. However, you know, there, there is a way to keep athletes in the game longer. And part of that is living in a place that's amazing. <laughs> so, you know, our life outside of volleyball in Vancouver is fantastic. We go to kids, we relax, there's a strong volleyball base and, you know, we have a second to reset and then we can go to the gym and work super hard and do our jobs. Um, I think in Winnipeg, we're kind of missing that that balance of, you know, this is something I can do long term. And then uh, at the beginning of this summer, uh, Tom Black was hired as our national team coach. And I can't say enough amazing things about Tom. He's one of the nicest, most caring humans I've ever met, even outside the volleyball court. And uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. And I think the staff that he has created around the program has been amazing and I it was such an interesting thing to be a part of but also like witness that like people from different programs all coming together and have this one you know goal to qualify for the Olympics qualify for VNL next summer and you know we've we've obviously we've done that and qualified for VNL and have our qualifier um, in a month and 13 days something like that not that I'm counting <laughs> but um yeah so it's just been great. Uh, but, you know, we, we did have to change our technical and tactical styles again. So that was kind of difficult. And so whenever there's a regime change, there's growing pains. Like, whether that's like changing literally how you enter the court to approach or your passing technique or our serving mentality. Like, every part of our game was analyzed and parts were tweaked. Some, ma- some major changes, some little. So... The first month was such a grind of just like everyone just buying in and just like working super hard. And whether that was just like people were crying after practice because they were frustrated or just like super pumped because like we were working on things so, so hard. So it all paid off though. In, in July, we qualified for the BNL um, competition for next summer. So that was amazing. And then we've had like four other tournaments since then, something like that. The, this national team summer was so long this year. It was actually insane in my opinion. So yeah, it's been good. Now, does anything stand out in your mind that either Tom or, or Benjo or another coach had shared with you this year about uh, either technical or tactical that you've, you've appreciated because you, you went to Michigan, you played at a super high level, you even played in a three middle system there. Uh, so with yeah. Tom's influence of the NCAA, like, are you going off one foot more? Uh, is there anything tactically they've changed? Like anything that uh, you talked about the development sometimes in Europe isn't always there because it's all about performance and yeah. managing the team. Like, is there anything that you you were kind of excited to go to practice and get better at? Yeah. Uh, Joe is one of the best guys and coaches ever. I love the guy. He's hilarious. Um, but I think he definitely has transformed our blocking system. We were running a previous blocking system before that. And he kind of is just like, he doesn't really care how you do it. But like, just block the damn ball. <laughs> Whether that's like, you move weird if you take a false step, if you do a quick three, like all those things that like, I think sometimes coaches have the tendency to focus too hard on like how you do it versus like just do it. Like it doesn't matter if it looks pretty or if it's technically right. Like if you get a kill, if you get a block, like, that's what matters, you know. 
so Ben has really just kind of instilled the idea of like, be a boss and like, I am not one of the most physically gifted athletes. I'm not the quickest. I'm, I'm not like, I'm strong, but I'm not super strong. I don't jump super high. I jump pretty good. Like one of those is like medium athletes, but what, what has made me very successful is my brain and being tactically great. And he's just like, use your brain, like outsmart the setters. Like he's just kind of reinforced to me, like what had, what makes me good and kind of like push those buttons. I'm like that you can do better. That's how you get your advantage. Like those are the things that will separate you and, and make you more successful. So blocking for sure. And then in terms of like the offensive system, um, our offensive coach, Jeff Baxter, he's the head coach at Portland and Tom, run the same offensive system at college when Tom's at UGA and it's great. Uh, it's, we're all about like functioning and scoring as a unit. Like once again, like no one really cares like who scores what, but it's all about opening opportunities over. Like we do a lot of overload. I'm still going off two feet most of the time, unless something weird is going on. But yeah, that, that part didn't change, but just, um, we do a lot of video <laughs> and we do a lot of analyzing and a lot of tactical stuff, which I think we were doing before, but I think we're doing it in a more efficient way now for sure. Nice. And I don't think middles ever get enough credit. So without sharing too many details, cause you're still playing at the highest level. Uh, what is an example of that a middle could do to a setter to kind of initiate that cat and mouse game or to affect them tactically? Um, <clears throat> I think there's so much, so much you can do. Uh, but I do a lot of think false steps to like think, think, make the other setter think that I'm, I'm cheating one way, but really I haven't moved at all. Um, and so that's kind of fun. And like, I do it at practice and like the girls get pissed if I, I fake them out and then, you know, I can read them. But a lot of it too is just trusting your speed. And if you try to outthink the setter, sometimes you're thinking about too much. And so you just have to know what are their tendencies, stay in your base and just go like trust your speed. And I think I, something I really picked up on this summer was, um, especially for middles, getting on the setter's hands quicker. Like once the pass is left to the passer's platform, like you don't need to like watch the ball fully go into the setter's hands. Like the setter will tell you exactly where they're going to go just based on their hips, their back position, where they're taking the ball and like in front of their forehead, a little bit back, each center is a little bit different, obviously, but getting as much information from the setter as possible is so important. So like, just, you don't have to watch the ball the whole time. Like just get on the center and they'll tell you everything you need to know. So I think that's been something that I've added to my game this year that has made a really big difference. Awesome. And just to kind of close out the national team chat, you mentioned you're, you're a vet at the old age of 27. Uh, which means you, you had some hopefully future friends of the show like Lane, Lane Midwestkirk, who's still in university, and some other young pups. Uh, how did you bring them into the culture to make sure that what you guys are building is going to stay for the next few generations? Uh, and did you end up giving them a curfew or anything? Because there are some young, young athletes on the national team right now. There is. And I try not to mother them because <laughs> that is not my job, but I, you can ask them. I do have a tendency to do that. Um, I think it's it's been something on the national team that, especially during the last the last four years, I would say we've tried so hard to 
to establish a culture that we're happy with. And I mean this genuinely because I don't think you could have said it as much before, but everyone on the national team truly, truly respects each other. We are almost all like really good friends who choose to hang out with each other outside, choose to spend as much time together as possible. And not that it wasn't like that before, but I think we've made a really concerned effort to make sure that everyone can be themselves. Everyone can be authentic. You don't have to be someone you're not. If you're not super talkative, totally fine. If you, if you want to be super loud and like Shina Joseph is a great example of this. Shina Joseph is an amazing physically gifted athlete and she does best when you let shy just be her. You don't have to run shy in a really quick tempo, like set a high ball and show it over top and just be, you know, fantastic. So don't try to force anything that, you know, someone's not being for each other there, being for each other overseas is really important too. Like I think in the last couple of years, we've done a really good job of staying connected as friends and teammates when we're overseas because overseas life is hard. And I actually just saw, um, Jesse Niles, who's the starting libero of the national team, three days ago, I was in France for a Champions League match, and she drove to come see me. And that meant so much to me, just because like having someone there that you know loves you and supports you no matter what is is fantastic. So just making sure that like we're just genuinely a family and there for each other um, has made a really really big difference. And also, I think will help people want to stay in the program longer. Like if you're around your best friends all the time, like. Like, yeah, like, I can keep playing volleyball. Um, and then the younger, we've had a bunch of younger kids lately, younger kids, gosh, that's so old. <laughs> um, younger athletes. Um, we still have on uh, Dre, who's at Arizona State, and Lane, obviously, who's at Pitt. Pitt is going on a great run this year. They're not exactly dark horses, but I feel like there's going to be a Final Four for them. Um, so, yeah, like, we just try to integrate them as much as possible, and... We've done a lot more stuff on social media to make our program a little bit more public. Um, if everyone's on the gram, you know, the women's team is pretty active on there. So making sure that they're involved in that too and making sure that they feel validated and, and feel really awesome about growing up into the program and, and feel super welcome and supported. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for letting us behind the scenes there and kind of learning about what you guys are doing. Cause it's, it's definitely going in the right direction. Like you said, there were some, some tough years there, but now it's 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 very exciting. So let's yeah. touch on the the Olympic qualifier. How are you managing as as a pro player overseas? Your coach is obviously back to their NCAA commitments. Like how are you balancing being a pro athlete and your national team commitments? Because the, the qualifier is coming up and how does everybody mm-hmm. kind of get through that? And how many days of practice will you actually have before the event? Yeah, so the great thing is is that everybody's in the same boat. Um, whether you're on a European team or not, you know, we're so the, our qualifier is us, Dominican, Puerto Rico, and Mexico. And it starts on the 9th of January, the 12th. It's four teams, round robin, whoever wins the tournament wins the birth to the Olympics. And so um, last quad, uh, it was very, very similar. Uh, it was around Christmas time. And so... Basically, like we are with our pro teams for kind of nine weeks, two months and a little bit. And then we will be training in Georgia. Um, we're like 100%, almost 100% confirmed we will be training in Georgia 
um, starting on the 26th of December. And so we'll be able to spend Christmas Eve and a little bit of Boxing Day um, with our families. And that kind of just depends on everyone's on schedule. Unfortunately, because we're playing pro, like some teams have games. And I believe my last game is on the 20th. So I'll be heading home after that. But the Italian league goes, they actually do have a game on Boxing Day. So we're still figuring out logistics, but basically we'll all go home for a couple of days and then report on the 26th or 27th and be training for kind of 12 days. And and then we'll go to Dominican and have our qualifier. But the great thing is, is that we're all still staying connected. We're making sure that we're actually on strength programs that are not our national ones. If we don't have one uh, overseas, that's fulfilling all of our needs. I talked to Tom a couple oh, like a week ago. So everyone's still really connected, but it is a strange thing. Like you have to balance your, I know load management right now is a big thing in the NBA, but honestly like <laughs> load management right now um, overseas because pro tends to just kind of overwork you. Like it is really like they just care about winning, which, you know, that's our jobs. But it's important to make sure we're not burnt out by the time Christmas rolls around because we need to be firing at all cylinders 100% uh, starting, you know, on that 26th of December. So it's been a hard balance so far, but it seems like we're figuring it out and just making sure we're all testing each other and having open conversations with our pro teams. Yeah, that's that's amazing because it's exciting. You're right. Like for the first time in what feels like maybe even three cycles, this is the the best shot we've had in a while and i think it's exciting to kind of watch from a distance and still feel like you're a part of it because like you said the the social media has been real good you guys had a busy summer with competitions it was kind of easy to, to yeah. follow this year for sure yeah thank you i do spend a lot of time on that instagram so <laughs> it's good to know someone's watching nice yeah and we'll have to pass that on but I, it's definitely exciting and, and with the men's program having a qualifier too it's uh it's a good time for canadian volleyball and obviously with melissa and sarah winning worlds the beach is kind of buzzing too so Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, Tokyo should be a fun time for Canadian volleyball, I hope. We hope we'll, we are doing our, everything we possibly can to be there. And as you said, I think this is the first time in, in quite a while that we, we have a very good shot. Um, it's, it's a really good situation. It's going to be pretty difficult being Dominican in the Dominican. Um, but, you know, we played Puerto Rico uh, at the tournament at the North Dica Championships in October and beat them. Uh, we also played Mexico and beat them. So, we're, you know, it, it looks like it might come down to that Dominican match. But, the, you know, I got to give Brie King a shout-out here. But she decided that what the national team needed from her was to go play overseas. So instead of going to play at Trinity for her fifth year, she's gone and played in Germany. Um, Kira Van Rijk also did a similar situation where she has gone to play in Italy because she felt like... I don't want to speak for her, but that would be the best position for her for the national team going forward in her career. Um, so, you know, everyone's really bought into this program. Everyone's all in, I think, for sure. This is everyone's super excited. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, but, you know, Canadian volleyball in every aspect is in a really good place right now. Um, I think everyone can kind of see that everyone's trending really, really far off. So, it's a really exciting time for sure. Yeah, and actually, uh, now that you mentioned that, we just had Doug from the sitting team on, and both the men and women have their qualifiers coming up in March, I believe. So, yeah, it seems like all phases of volleyball are buzzing right now, which is which is awesome. So, 
Yes. Yeah. Um, we have taken a lot of your time. You'll have to be a returning guest, and obviously we'll have to showcase the, the women's team more. We've had Autumn on, and we'll hopefully try to get some other people. But um, before I let you go, we do like to close every episode with just kind of a funny or unique story about volleyball, where even though you've been on the national team since, you know, before you could drive, um, <laughs> and you've been a pro athlete since you left university, is there anything that you'd like to share, either through your travels or uh, anything that volleyball is presented for you that's just kind of like an odd, unique situation that even though you're at the highest level, you still got to deal with some nonsense every once in a while? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our weird things always happen. I don't know why. It usually has to do with travel. Like, we've had weird bus situations or they didn't order us a bus or we're sitting on luggage. But this year, we had our um, playoff match for the, the Norseka Championships. And... I, we're still not sure quite how it happened, but both teams showed up in white jerseys. And halfway through warm-up, Kira Penwright looks at me and she's like, hey, isn't it like weird? We're both wearing white. And I was like, oh, no. And so I went casually over to the coach and was like, hey, like, by the way, like, I don't want to freak out or anything, but like, someone's wrong. Like, someone messed up before. I'm like, uh-oh. Unfortunately, we did realize that we were wearing the wrong jerseys. Like, this is like Norseka Championship national team. We're like so focused, ready for this game, like getting up, and we're wearing the wrong jerseys. Like, that's like a 14 new club thing that would happen now. <laughs> but we ended up like mid warm we like stopped our warm up and was like, everyone grab your hotel keys. Shannon, who's our assistant, like, we all wrote down like where our jerseys were. But like, keep in mind, we're like mid tournament. She like had to like, destroy people's hotel rooms looking for our other jerseys they took this like ridiculous taxi ride through like the back streets of puerto rico and just like she, she got there she got back with them like we were, hadn't even started hitting warm-up like i physically don't know how she did it it was amazing and then we like put on our other jerseys like nothing happened but like it was insane it was super funny after the moment because like like in the moment we're like oh my god like what do we do what happened but like ended up being super fine pretty sure shannon broke several driving rules in puerto rico so that all ended up being fine but yeah weird things happen on the road all the time it's just it's just part of life that had to be the worst feeling i can only imagine collecting hotel keys and then somebody saying like oh it might be on the chair or the desk but it ends up being like under the third pillow because you just don't know where you put your stuff after like a long tournament right like like people's like someone was on someone's was on the balcony or something like not in a convenient place to, for someone to go and find. It was so funny. And, like, <laughs> like Kira Van Roy, bless her heart, like, was just, she tried not to be like, oh, like, this is a big deal. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, this is a disaster. It was just so casual. Everyone just like, oh, no, like, this is terrible. Like, how do we fix this? And I can't believe it ended up being okay, but it did, so... What if it's that would have played out? Like, do you guys get a fine? Does the game, like, go under jeopardy? Like, what? Actually, I've never actually heard that happen at the international level. Right, exactly. But I'm not sure. <laughs> Nobody's ever found out. <laughs> yeah, we believe we would have got fined, and they, like, would have let us play the match or, like, lost the first set. But we believe it was a fine. So it's great that that didn't happen because, you know, finances are tight. <laughs> so we need to make sure we keep every amount possible. But... Yeah, who knows? I, I really don't know what would happen. That should not happen, but, you know, things do. 
Amazing. Well, well, thank you for that. So just to, to wrap things up, uh, good luck with the rest of your season and Champions League. And then we'll all be rooting for, obviously, the national team. So people can follow along with Volleyball Canada's accounts. But what is your account that the, the women's squad actually runs? So it's CanWBNT, Canadians Women Volleyball National Team. Um, yeah, just search Canadian Volleyball on Instagram. It'll, it'll pop up. And we actually are very active on there. We post... Um, links to everyone's pro games every weekend and then usually once in the midweek and then some other posts throughout the week and if you actually want to keep up with um, I'll be doing a day in the life of Champions League in a couple weeks and then uh, we'll have some NCAA stuff going up as well so lots to look forward to but CanWBNT is, is where to check up on us Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining the show. Like I said, we'll have to have you back, but this was, this was a great first start. Learned a lot. So thanks for taking the time. No problem. It was great.